0: Welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a kid leader Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and Institutes of Children's Ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Um, I don't think any of us would argue with the fact that kids today are exposed to a lot of crisis. Um, Just in our world right now, our kids seem to be uh, overwhelmed by the news and by the things that are happening. And so they're exposed in a lot of different ways. They might be exposed as victims themselves, right? Uh, That's probably what we think of most often. But many times they can just be witnesses. They may witness something that's happened um, or just being in relationship with them. Maybe a parent, maybe a brother or sister has been involved in some sort of a crisis, and so they're exposed to it through that. But then finally, and probably most importantly, that all of our kids, I think, are exposed to uh, is through listening to or viewing uh, the details of a tragedy. And I think that you would see that in the news right now. Um, Not only do our kids have access to news all the time, they also have it through their phones. And so while in the, in the past we might could have um, turned off the TV um, to kind of help eliminate some of that exposure, now we have to worry about what our kids see on their phone as well, the information that's coming. Uh, Bruce Perry, who's a great uh, academic academic person in trauma says that 5 million children a year um, experience some type of a trauma. So certainly we're going to have opportunities to minister to kids Um, who have crisis. If you look at the next slide, I've given you some examples of crisis. These are things that um, all of us would be able to name off very, very quickly. Things like abuse, neglect, uh, being separated from loved ones, bullying, kind of in an extreme form, witnessing harm to a loved one, natural disasters. Uh, We think about tornadoes and hurricanes and those types of things, uh, car accidents, unpredictable parent behavior, uh, terrorism. And then just uh, seemingly in our news a lot, is just that unexplained violence that seems to come out of nowhere. And so these are all examples of crises that our kids may experience in our ministries. Um, if you look at the next slide, one of the things that's really important, I think, for us to understand is that we have to have an idea or an understanding of what trauma informed care is. And Bruce Perry talks a lot about this. And basically what it says is, that the more that our stress response system is activated in uncontrollable ways, um, the less we are able to handle even small amounts of stress. So if you think about kids, kids who maybe experience one or two crises in their life are going to react differently than kids who've experienced multiple recurrent um, things because what happens is their body actually and their brain actually kicked in, kick into that fight or flight type of a response. And it stays in that mode for too long and it changes the development of the brain. And so that's why we see uh, some of our families with foster kids and kids they've adopted who are dealing with um, outbursts and uh, responses to trauma in different ways than a kid who's only been experienced to one or two traumas. If that, if that can help you a little bit, if you look at the next page, this kind of um, summarizes it in that the brain remember is shaped by experiences. And so if we, If we understand the history of the child that we're dealing with and we know that they have experienced multiple crises and multiple stressors, then they're going to have a more difficult time dealing with the crisis itself. If you start from a a healthy place, adversity can be character building. But if you grow up amid that and it's constantly that way, then stress can become toxic. So that's just something to keep in mind that we have to understand the kids that we're dealing with. Is this something new? Or is this something they've been dealing with a lot? If they've been dealing with it a lot, their bodies and their brains are going to react a whole lot differently. And what we know from science is that the, the limbic system in their brain becomes overdeveloped and the frontal cortex becomes underdeveloped because they're constantly in that fight or flight mode. But let's move on. I know that was just a very brief um, kind of an uh, introduction. There's some questions that we want to try to answer today, and we're not going to be able to answer all five of them. I think we'll get to answer two, maybe three. But the big questions that people have are when crisis happens, it's what do I do? What do I say? How do I help the parents? Will the children be okay? And then maybe a really important and hard question is where is God in all of this? So let's start with what do I do? What do I do when crisis happens? Because we know that crisis by its very nature, is unplanned. It usually bursts onto the scene. And so we've got to be, first of all, prepared. We have to understand that part of living in this world is that there will be difficult things. Um, John 16, 33 says, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, And so we have to expect it. There's a couple of quotes there from Randy Alcorn and John Piper under that. And it basically says, a faith that leaves us unprepared for suffering is a false faith that deserves to be lost. In other words, we have to be prepared and know this kind of stuff is going to happen. What's the second thing we can do? Well, we can be proactive. And that's partly what you're doing right here. Um, We can study developmentally appropriate responses so that we understand that kids respond differently to crisis than adults and that there's some keys to how we respond based upon their developmental stages and ages. And so when we understand that, then we can develop plans for ministry. So we want to be proactive. The third thing is one of the easiest things, but it's the most important probably, and that is just be present. Show up. When families are in crisis, show up. Do more listening than talking. I like the example of Job, because if you read the story of Job, you know that Job went through many crises and the Bible says that his three friends uh, came to visit him and they didn't even recognize him because they saw how great his suffering was. But the Bible says that they sat in the ashes with Job and didn't say a word, did not say a word for seven days. I think that's a great example for us is that sometimes we just need to go and to sit and to listen and to be present. The fourth thing that we need to do is to be practical Okay. Provide tangible acts of service. When a family is in crisis, find ways to minister to them in tangible ways. It could be bringing meals. It could be running the kids to different places. It could be mowing their lawn. uh, It could be a number of different things. In reality, we have an important role to play as ministers but one of the best things we can do is minister to the parents and the caregivers because the parents and the caregivers are the ones who are going to be with those kids long-term. And so we need to be supportive of those parents and those caregivers. And we'll talk a little bit more specifically about how to do that here uh, in just a second. Remember though, if we go to the next slide, remember that um, children don't always have the words to express their true feelings. Feelings are hard for us adults to communicate. And so it's even harder for kids to say they're scared or to say they're angry or to say that they're worried. And so sometimes we can discover some of their inaccuracies about their experience through play and through art. So that's why we want to pay really close attention to the way they play, to the way they draw, um, because we can get some clues into what they're thinking and feeling, even if they can't use their words to say it. One of the things to remember, too, is that repetitive questions and statements are normal. When kids are trying to process something that they don't have any understanding about, they're going to continually ask questions and they're going to continually make statements as they're filtering that information and processing in their brain because they have an event in their life now that they have no history for. And so it's very difficult for them to try to piece all that together on top of the cognitive barriers that they have because of their inability maybe to think symbolically, to understand time, to understand what happened yesterday is different from what happened today, is different from what's going to happen in the future. And so we have to be patient with them and answer their questions in age-appropriate ways. So what are some common responses in kids? Um, I've got a list here of things that are very common. If you just want to go ahead and run through that, Um, We want to remember that short-term distress is almost always universal. Um, It's going to disrupt their life. A crisis is going to disrupt their life. But it's not all bad because um, they are learning adaptive responses. They are learning how to um, become resilient through the crisis that they're in. They may have a development of new fears. Um, The video that's in the next slide that I'm not sure if we'll have time to show is of a little girl that went through Hurricane Katrina, and she says in the video, "I don't even want to swim anymore." She says, "I'm afraid to swim now." So that's an example of a new fear that a child has because of her experiencing going through something like Hurricane Katrina. So they may have new fears. They may have separation anxiety. That makes sense um, if something has happened to a loved one. They may have regressive behaviors, um, and these are temporary. But they may wet the bed. They may suck their thumb. They may. Uh, regress into a lower uh, childhood behavior than they've had before. Um, They may have nightmares. Um, They may sleep more or sleep less. They may eat more or eat less. It's a change in what's normal for them. Uh, They may have a decline and probably will in schoolwork. And part of that is just because their brain is, is on overload trying to process what has happened. And so they don't have... They don't have the mental capacity to stay on task with things with school. They may feel isolated, um, and that's why um, it's important for kids to be around each other. Um, that's why it's, uh, support groups for kids are so important, because the more that they can see that they're not the only ones who've gone through something difficult, uh, the better they will have a chance at working through it. Um, they may be angry. That's a normal response when bad things happen. Um, they may be irritable. And they may have increased uh, sensitivity to sensory stimuli. If you, if you think about um, maybe the, um, the flooding in, in Texas with Hurricane Harvey, um, there are some kids now who when it begins to rain hard or when it begins to thunder and lightning, their brain is so sensitive to that that they're going to automatically think, oh, no, it's happening again. Um, These are some things that we can focus on with kids. First of all, stay in the present. Um, Kids are very much nearsighted, meaning they see and respond and react to what's right in front of them. They're not able to really think into the future or go back into the past. And that's really good news. Um, And so we need to stay in the present with kids. We need to meet their immediate needs, um, making sure that they are safe, making sure they have food, making sure they have shelter. All those things sound really basic, but those are really the things that kids need when they're in crisis. We need to maintain structure and routine. It is so important to get kids back into structure and routine as soon as possible. They literally thrive on ritual and routine. We need to expect age-appropriate respo- age responses and behaviors. Um, children respond like children when they're in crisis. And so as adults, we forget what it's like to think and to act as a child. Um, I can provide some resources that will give you some age appropriate responses and behaviors if you'd like, if you want to email me for that. Um, Activate and mobilize the support resources that the family has. Hopefully they're connected in a church. Hopefully they're in a small group. Hopefully they have some um, group of people who care about them. And so part of our job as ministers is to help activate and mobilize those support resources. Um, We also want to provide opportunities for kids to do. Um, When kids see crises, they want to do, they want to help. And so part of our job is to teach kids how to minister to each other and to show kids that when people are hurting, we help them. When people are sad, we pray for them. And so we want to provide opportunities, whether that be to send notes, to send cards, to pray for them, whatever that we can do to help, we want them to do. We want to bring any questions and fears back to the present or past. Sometimes it's good to remind kids when they're going through something tough of a time before when they've been through something tough and they were able to get through it. It's called scaffolding in some circles. But basically, it means that when if my child is going through something difficult and they're and they're afraid or it's a crisis, I can say to my child, you know, Lexi, I know this is really hard. But remember when this happened and remember how God helped us through it and remember how God helped our family. And I know that God is also going to help us right now. And so reminding them of God's goodness and that's scriptural that's what they did in the Old Testament is they always were pointing back to God's faithfulness through stories and through ritual. Um, normalize recovery as a long-term process. I think parents uh, need to know this just as much as ministers in that it takes a while. If, particularly if there's a death involved, kids will grieve at every age and every stage of their life because they can only grieve now what they understand now. And so as they get older, they will grieve what they then understand then. Okay. So it's a long term process. So let's move to the second question is what in the world do I say when something very, very difficult happens? One of the things that I like to remind people is this quote right here. The role of the Christian leader is first of all, to lovingly care for the victims, not to publicly presume, to fathom the unsearchable wisdom of the most high. I think sometimes. We want to speak for God in these situations and explain why something might happen. But this particular quote and the story of Job, if you go to that next slide, really reminds us that um, we don't have to speak for God. He will speak for himself. We just need to be present. But what do we say to kids? Um, Let's move on to the next slide. First of all, I want us to remember that when you're working with kids, that listening well is equally as important as talking well. So sometimes we focus on, okay, what is it I'm gonna to say to this child about this particular event? When really we need to focus on, okay, how can I listen well to what this child is saying about this particular event, okay? Because we're gonna catch some clues about how they're processing it by the way they are able to articulate what they're thinking or feeling. First of all, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Um, we, we don't need to say things that are not true. Um, the Second thing is we need to be age appropriate. Um, we want to measure truth according to their age and according to their ability to understand what it is that we're saying. The third thing is that we want to be brief. Um, we are going to have lots of opportunities probably, and the parents are certainly going to have lots of opportunities to have conversations about difficult things. And so we don't have to feel like we have to do it all in one conversation. Um, So we just want to be brief and share the facts. And then finally, we want to be patient. We want to be patient with kids as they are trying to process it, uh, as they're going to respond differently than maybe we might even expect them to. Um, We want to be patient as we listen. We want to be comfortable with silence, comfortable with allowing children the time and the space in their heads to think about what it is that they feel and what they think and maybe even what questions that they have. So let's move to how can we help the parents just super quick. Um, let's, um, let's first of all realize that parents um, are so important in this um, and that we want to educate and empower them. We want to give them information and resources. And at the end of this slide, it will be some websites that will give you some resources. Um, but we want them to understand Um, And we want to normalize responses to parents. We want to help them know that regressive behavior is normal, that nightmares are normal, all those things that we talked about. We want to normalize those things and remind them that their child is having a very normal reaction to what's probably a very abnormal event. Okay. Um, We want to encourage parents to seek help. Um, One of the best things that we can do is remind them that as they take care of themselves, they will be able to take care of their kids. It's just like when you fly on an airplane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on you first so that then you can help the child. We need to remind parents that, you know, in order for you to minister effectively to your child through this crisis, you're going to have to do some self-care. And it's not selfish. It's imperative that you do it in order to help them best. Thirdly, we want to help parents recognize those developmental factors Again, we can provide resources. Um, we need to understand the role of media and help parents understand that role. Um, we learned a lot through 9-11. One of the things that we learned is that kids who watched those planes go into those buildings over and over again, some of them relayed later to, uh, to, to counselors that when they saw those planes going into the building over and over again, they thought it was happening over and over again. You see, they're not able to separate out time And space and what they see on TV with reality. And so we've got to understand the role of media and limit it. We've got to know the cognitive barriers. We've got to understand the egocentric perspective. See, kids uh, want to make it about them. Uh, The best example would be um, with divorce. In most cases, kids try to find a way for it to be their fault. And so we have to be listening carefully to understand what is it about this experience that they may think is their fault so that we can help them debunk that or we can help them get rid of that guilt that's not appropriate for them. And then finally, again, we have to help parents understand that it's a long-term process um, for kids to go through a truly traumatic uh, crisis event. Thanks for listening to today's episode to download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children.